Hey, welcome to Stories I Didn't Get to Tell last Sunday. I'm Doug McAllister and Tanya Campers joining me today. We are going to get into our series for the month. We just closed out a series yesterday called First Things. Now, since this was a five-Sunday month, there were five parts to the message series, and we went through um, five first things in the Bible, and there's a lot to talk about today, uh, especially about part five. So I knew going into this on part five that I was not going to be able to finish the message. It was just so much um, information and history and scripture I wanted to share. Uh, so a large part of our podcast today is going to be taken up by kind of uh, recapping and telling some stories that I didn't get to tell yesterday. Um, so first things, part five uh, was called First Love. And that title came out of uh, the book of Revelation where John recorded a letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And, you know, I've read that story many times. And there's seven churches. All those churches were in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, that, and Paul planted and his cohorts planted all those churches. And they were appointing bishops and pastors and elders. And um, history says that John one of the 12 of uh, twelve disciples of Jesus was the pastor there. And so I, as I got to digging into it, you know, it just became, you know, captivating. I just, I spent almost all of the week just doing the background research and the city. And Ephesus was such an amazing city. Um, you know, the ruins are still there. Mm -hmm. And the modern city that replaced Ephesus is uh, a few kilometers uh, away from the harbor because the harbor kind of encroached into the city and they lost some of it. But a lot of the ruins are still there. And one of the ruins that really captured my attention was, was the great uh, sports stadium. Ephesus had a 25,000-seat sports stadium which, you know, this is 2,000 years ago. That's somewhere between the size of the New Orleans Arena and the Superdome. I mean, this is a massive arena. Uh, and there's a verse, uh, there's a passage in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 19. This is where I was ending yesterday. I got through one point yesterday. Uh, I know, it was so good. <laughs> well, Your introduction was, I think, the longest. <laughs> the introduction was 20 <laughs> minutes. I kept thinking, this is the longest introduction in the history of the world. I'm like, there is no way he's going to finish this no. message today. I'm yeah. like, we are really going over today. Yeah. But, you know, I was trying to lay the, the context of that passage, you know, because uh, Jesus wrote the letter to Ephesus and said, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you for a couple of things, but I have one thing against you, that you lost mm -hmm. your first love. And I think the only really, the best way to understand that is to understand the context of the city of Ephesus, because it was a real city. Uh, in Asia Minor, the church was planted by the Apostle Paul. It was being the bishop. The current bishop was John, uh, who was aging. He was probably much older than Paul, uh, but he was the pastor there. Uh, and so, to understand the context of the letter in Revelation chapter two, the church in Ephesus, you know, and I, I found that quite um, appealing that Jesus addressed seven local churches, mm -hmm. you know, and. Um, and I think the Lord, you know, loves every local church, you know, and I think the Lord, um, you know, wants every local church to uh, follow his plan for salvation for the for the world. And so he was bringing correction to those seven, seven local churches. I even thought about maybe one day either doing a small group around the seven churches 
of, of Asia or maybe a series. I just don't know if I'd be able to preach a seven-part series without it becoming a 14-part, a 21-part series. There's just so much information. But every city, you know, uh, Thyatira, Pergamum, Laodicea, they're, they're all just massive historical sites, you know, that has so much information, you know. But it all goes back to that passage in uh, Revelations 2 uh, where, where Jesus said, uh, you know, I have somewhat against you that you've left your first love. And uh, what is the first love? Well, the first love is Jesus. Mm-hmm. That, that we do everything we do because we love Jesus, period. Not because of the rules, not because of, of you know, the, the commandments or the, or the culture. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. And that keeps it pure and it keeps it real. Mm-hmm. You know, how did John last almost 100 years? You know, he's the only member of the 12 that died of natural causes. All the rest, you know, Judas hung himself. The other 10 were all martyred. But John died of natural causes. And, you know, all of his messages have a common theme. The gospel, which was written in Ephesus, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation, all has a very common theme, and that is the love of God Mm. that goes both ways from him to us. And us to him, you know, that we love him because he first loved us. And that's the first love, you know. And the greatest. It is. I know it's true in your life. You know, Tanya, it's it's easy to get off track sometimes. But God, you know, keeps bringing us back to what's real. Yeah. You know, what what makes it all all worth it. Yeah. What's the most important thing? Love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think the world is trying to redefine love, you know, they're trying to change what it means. But, you know, the biblical definition of love, you know, you know, that that God loves us in spite of what we've done. And we love him because he first loved us, you know, and he loves us just like we are. But the love of God is unique in that he loves us like we are, but he loves us too much to leave us like that. That's the love of God, you know, and putting Jesus first. And so I think in order to understand um, the letter to the Ephesians, you had to understand what John was going through. You had to understand the context of the city, that massive temple, um, the temple to Ar- Artemis, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know, it was, uh, it was built, uh, you know, in this massive hill in the city of Ephesus. It was the highest point. It was a center of finance. It was a, fin- a center of commerce. It was a center of sexuality. It was a center of political influence. I mean, literally, Artemis dominated not just Ephesus, but the whole continent, uh, the, you know, Asia Minor and even into Europe and uh, Far East. It was just a dominant force. And that's exactly where God sent Paul to plant the church. They say that when Paul sailed into the harbor, the first thing he saw was the idol to Domitian, mm. the, the, you know, the dictator of Rome. At that time, he was, uh, he was the last in his line of Caesars. Uh, but he built, he built his idol on the highest point of the hill. You know, so, so Paul sailed into the harbor, and he could see the temple of Artemis, and he could see the idol to Domitian. And it had to be a little bit you know, uh, fearful, yeah. you know, like to see, Intimidating. Yeah. yeah, just like I'm sailing into the greatest city, one of the greatest cities in the world. It was the largest city by population, second only to Rome. I mean, it's like going into New York city. I just had the same thought. You, you've been in like New the York. immigrants yeah. coming in yeah, and then and seeing think, the Statue of Liberty for the very first time. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, the first time I landed in New York city, I took a taxi from the airport to downtown, which took me like an hour and a half 
to go off a few miles and just people everywhere and high-rise buildings and, and just thousands and tens of, it's just an overwhelming place. Well, that's the kind of place Paul sailed into, you know, and he, he was, a he was a itinerant preacher coming to plant a church among people who didn't want to have a church planted. Yeah. Nobody called him to ask him to come. Yeah. Did he get an invitation? You know, no one was like, hey, Paul, come over here. Just being led by the Holy Ghost to go there. Yeah, he just was trying to follow the call of God, and he planted this church, and he went there at least two different occasions. Uh, he planted the church on his second journey, uh, but we know he spent, I think, 18 months there at one time teaching in the synagogue and then eventually in the marketplace. Well, there is a passage that references the, the sports stadium in Acts 19, which... Uh, you know, kind of gives you a clear picture of how accurate the Bible is historically. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke described that. He said that uh, a, a great crowd uh, gathered in the theater. And the, the, he was referring to the sports stadium. 25,000 people filled the stadium. A couple hundred thousand were rioting around the city. He said the whole city was in an uproar. Mm-hmm. Luke paints a pretty graphic picture in, in Acts 19 pretty graphic picture of a city on its edge because Paul was converting so many people to follow Jesus that the worship of Artemis was falling away and the and the guys who made their living on selling the idols were panicking about their profitable business, you know. Uh, so the gospel was turning the city upside down. So uh, 25,000 people were riding in the stadium. They were screaming. They were yelling, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, Luke said, they, they yelled that phrase. And we know historically that that happened often in Ephesus, that thousands of people, especially during the feast days, would rally and, and cry out, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul was going to go into the theater and address them. He was fearless. Can you imagine facing down 25,000 angry people who want to kill you? I'll, I'll go talk to him. And they wouldn't let him, his, his staff wouldn't let him in. No, you can't go in there. So one of the rulers of the city went in, uh, who was a friend of Paul's, and calmed the crowd and said, if you have a matter, we'll take it to the courts. We're not going to have an open display of rebellion like this because Rome is watching and we could all be in trouble for this riot. And so everybody needs to disperse and go home. Uh, that, that's the only reason Paul escaped that day was because God gave him favor with with the ruler of the city of Ephesus, you know, and the crowd was quieted, but the church flourished. It's probably why John wound up in uh, in prison on, on the Isle of Patmos. Right. You know, uh, John pastored there, and and the decree from Jerusalem was abstain from idols and keep yourself sexually pure. And ironically, those are the two things that the Ephesians just couldn't take, like, oh, no, we're going to worship idols because the temple of Artemis was dedicated to every kind of sexual perversion known to man and then some. You know, not only was it accepted, it was celebrated and openly practiced. It was the lifestyle of the day, yeah. It was. Everybody, and still today. And I think that's probably the best connection that we can make is the same spirit that was in Ephesus is still on the earth today. That's exactly right. And it's the same deal. We worship idols and be sexually promiscuous. Uh, if you don't agree to those things, then you don't fit in. Mm-hmm. You know, we've changed the terminology now. You know, you have to be whatever. You have, you have to be affirming to people's uh, sexual identity or preferences and uh, tolerant of it. Yeah, and- not only tolerant, but you gotta you gotta promote it and accept it. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and there's no room for disagreement. So it's the same exact. It's a different terminology, but it's the same result. Either worship our idols and allow us to celebrate our sexuality, or we'll have to kill you. One yeah. or the other. you got to silence 
the critics, you know, and that's the birth of cancel culture. If you don't uh, openly affirm um, every kind of uh, sexual activity, then you have to be canceled. I'm sorry, yeah. you know, and that's going to grow progressively worse. You know, they're not exiling Christians to the islands of Patmos yet, but right. you know, we are being canceled. Coming soon. Yeah, <laughs> we are being canceled. We are being uh, shadow banned. We are being cut out of social media. You know, if you don't, uh, you know, spout the accepted, uh, politically correct lifestyle, then you know. Uh, you are going to wind up eventually, uh, you know, a non-person. You yeah. know, because and like of, Ecclesiastes says, yeah. there's nothing new under the sun. It's not. Nothing so new the sun. same things that John was um, talking about in struggle, and, and the struggle yeah. is still today. It's the same. Yeah. And, and the world's still the same. And Artemis, the temple, was a bank, so she controlled all the money. Uh, she was a place of worship, so she controlled all the religion. Uh, she taught sexual promiscuity, so she had power over all of reproduction and all of the, you know, uh, activities of, of people's personal lives. And she was a center of economic power. Mm. Many of these people made their living off selling uh, idols or other things associated with the temple. And I think one comparison we need to make is you could not buy or sell in the marketplace in Ephesus unless you agreed to worship the false gods. When you walked in the marketplace, there was, uh, there was a, uh, an altar with incense. And in order to get in, you had to grab a handful of the incense, burn it on the altar to prove you were uh, worshiping the false gods. And if you didn't do that, you weren't allowed to open your shop or to buy stuff. Paul preached in that market pretty often, we can assume. Mm -hmm. I got a feeling Paul went hungry most days because he was not going to worship the idol. And that's probably why John wound up exiled to Patmos. You know, uh, the Isle of Patmos was about 45 miles off the coast of Turkey, uh, off the where the harbor of Ephesus was. It was a tiny island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And he's, he was sent there to die. They could put him out there. They, they tried to kill him. You know, they tortured him. He wouldn't stop. So they said, send him to the island. It was like a penal colony. It was a prison. You know, so like Alcatraz um, in ancient history. They dropped him out there to let him die. Huh. But he didn't. He wound up writing the book of Revelation. And I think that just reminds us sometimes God allows us to be somewhere that seems like it's not fair, but maybe God's doing something bigger than what we can see. Because we're still quoting John, you know, 2,000 years later. You know, he, he probably had no idea that in that little cave he was living in as a hermit, that he'd have a visitation from Jesus and that he would get a revelation of the end of the world, yeah. you know. Uh, it's interesting the place that God chose to give us some insights to the end of the uh, end of the world on a little island in the middle of the Aegean Sea, a penal colony by a man who was probably in his 90s. In a cave. In a cave, all alone, expecting to die. But instead he wrote what now is the revelation of Jesus Christ for the end of the world. And in the opening chapters is a letter to each of the seven churches in Asia Minor. And that was what we were studying. So yesterday I got to point one. So the point one was um, hold on tight to who you are because the culture is shifting around us. You know, there's pressure to conform, to become, to agree, you know, and may we all have the same spirit that was on John and Paul uh, that we're going to be true to who God's called us to be.
you know, and it's not popular. It's not going to win us an award. We're not going to, you know, be celebrated in our, in our culture, but we're not doing what we do for the praise of man. We just simply want to share the love of God, you know, and to stand firm and hold tight to who we are. The praise of man or the acceptance. Yeah, because in the end, does it really matter? Yeah. You know, even though we value that so much, I think we all want to be uh, celebrated and, you know, congratulated. But why? But what's going to stand at the end of the day? Yeah. What's going to hold merit and how are we going to be valued in God's eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how we're going to be valued by people is important, but not nearly as important as what God thinks. Yeah, I've been watching some of the uh, the ratings on the award shows, you know, the Oscars and the Emmys and the Grammys. Every year, they sink lower and lower and lower. You know, this past awards, I think it was the uh, Oscars recently, had like a fraction, like just a couple of million people out of 300 million people in America. Only Because you know what? People don't care. Yeah. It's an award that Hollywood's given to itself. Right. And most of them are bought and paid for under the table. Most of them are given to the most politically correct movie or the one that, you know, checks all the boxes. And they don't make art anymore. They just make political messages. Mm-hmm. And they, they disguise it as art. And then they celebrate it by giving themselves a gold statue. And all of it is meaningless. Yeah. It's a joke. It's a, their agenda. Yeah, it's an agenda. It's yeah. a joke. It's not art anymore. It's not even a story. It's a political agenda. And people are, you know, I think becoming aware of how little the praise of man really means, mm. you know. So what, you're the top 10 this or the top one that, yeah, who cares, you know. Do they really hold our values? Yeah, they the don't. The majority. Yeah, in fact, they flaunt uh, the defiance of, of Christian values. And they, you know, uh, Christians are the only people in America that it's okay to make fun of. It's okay to belittle or to call them names or to, you know, uh, to, you know, uh, discriminate against. Everybody else is a protected class except believers, yeah. you know, and we're open game. But it's always been like that yeah. because we're not part of this world. They know it. Mm-hmm. You know, the church is not part of the world. In fact, you know. We're peculiar, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And that's a really good <laughs> word. It's an, old, it's an old King James word, but that's we right. are peculiar, you know, because yeah. we, we just stand true. You know, we don't worship idols. And there's no golden idol in the center of our cities anymore, but there's other idols that we refuse to worship. We don't bow down to, you know, government fiats and, you know, cultural icons. We just, yeah, I don't care. Um, and then the, the whole sexual purity thing is, you know, that, that harkens back to a bygone age. Nobody believes that. We're all pansexual now. We I'll have free free love and you know and here's Christians saying do what makes you feel good yeah and if you feel good you make, do it yeah do, do it some more be and, happy but here's the church saying the only sex God blesses is the sex between one man and one woman in a committed relationship that's right that's the marriage only one. called and, marriage it's called marriage yeah. and that's the only one he blesses and that's a that's an unpopular uh stance but it's God's word you know and that's God's plan you can and you have the freedom because God gave you a free will right. to explore any kind of sexuality you want. I don't care. I'm not going to stop you. That's between you and you got to stand before God and answer for that one day. Yeah. But the Bible is very clear that God designed sex to be enjoyed between a man and a woman, period. That was the design. And anything outside of that is out of God's will. And that's what got John into trouble. And it may be what gets us into trouble one day, you know, because we won't agree to uh, the, the sexual mores of the 21st century. You know, I think God's word is still true. Amen, I do know? too. So John got exiled. So, so point two, had I had time yesterday, 
and by the way, if you want to watch the sermon uh, from part five of First Things, it'll be posted on the Journey app real soon. You'll be able to see it, uh, it real soon so you can hear what we already said. Uh, but point two, had I had time yesterday, I would have said, remember where you came from. And that was Revelations chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, this was the letter that Jesus wrote to Ephesus. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Mm-hmm. I think that is so uh, true in, about remembering not only where we're going, but where we are. Remember where you came from. You know, to know, okay, I know when I first met Christ, you know, the fire and the zeal that I had, you know, and that we can uh, rekindle that first love, you know, and you've been saved for how long? Oh, man. What year did so, you get saved? Well, when I said the sinner's prayer, yeah. I was in my 20s. Okay. But I really believe it happened when I was 10 years old, yeah. 11 years old on a Ferris wheel. Okay. So you had yeah. a, a so moment I surrendered, with God on a Ferris yeah. wheel? Yeah, I surrendered Was it because you were scared of falling? Um, yeah, I was scared of dying that day. <laughs> scared of right dying. Yeah. So I just surrendered. Growing up Catholic, yeah. Yeah. did not have that mindset of yeah. understanding, you know, um, salvation in the text right. that I understand it today. Yeah. But just surrendering my heart and saying so that, initial, I would be obe- that I would be obedient to it. You were 10? Yeah. Or 11? 11. On a Ferris wheel, like mm-hmm. at a uh, parish fair? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Nice. But I know you and Curtis prayed together that same yes. night. Yeah, we're married. When we were in you our were... mid-20s. Yeah. So what and year was that? Uh, was it that, the... was in 80, that was in 83. Now, what what show was on television? You told me before. MASH. Oh, that's right. It yeah. was, a, it was, it was the, the grand finale thing. of MASH. That's huh? right. Man, what a night to get saved. Yeah. Didn't the pastor come to your house? No, it was a guy who was, he wasn't a pastor. Yeah. He was just a lay person yeah. who just went out witnessing to Came people. to share his faith And with he you? shared his faith with us here. Yeah. My dad was going to go and my mom was going to look at joining the Mormon church. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, no, man, you can't do that. Now. Yeah. Let me come and talk to your family. Yeah. So everybody was there but my dad. Wow. My mom, two sisters, my yeah. husband, and our three babies. Wow. Was there? So that was that, that was 1983. Then that was in 83. That was the uh, year that uh, Mash had its finale. Yeah. So do you remember the date? It was the it was the last day of February. So it's February. Whatever. Well, yeah, February 28th, 28th of 83. of 83. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think you can remember back to that moment when. Jesus changed our life, and that's what... Transformed it. Yeah. And you know what it's so? You're talking about love, and it yeah. was all because of love. Yeah. That guy spoke to us for over three hours, which seemed like 10 minutes. Wow. And all he talked about was the love of God. Wow. And how much he loved us and how much he cares for us. Wow. And it really brought me back to um, 1 Corinthians thirteen eight, where it says, love never fails. Yeah. It's the thing that just yeah. wins and it overtakes and it yeah. just consumes us. And if we allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives... Yeah. We'll never turn away from it. So we're talking 40 years ago. Yeah. Oh, God. Going on 40 years. Did you have to go there? And I did the math. Jesus, help us. Did did the math (laughs) in my head real quick. So about 40 years ago. But, you know, sometimes when we get saved, uh, we get fired up and get passionate for the first year or two. Yeah. And then we get into a dry season and some trials and we we start growing cold. Yeah. Or if not that, then we get uh, the opposite. We get legalistic and start writing rules to make people live like we live. Mm-hmm. And both of those are an error. Right. You know, we, we if we grow cold, we lose our faith. If we grow legalistic, we lose our faith. You know, that's why I think Jesus said, remember where you came from, yeah. where you've fallen from. You know, that would be a pure 
relationship with Jesus that that drives us. And in the next verse, verse 6, Jesus told the church, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, Mm -hmm. which I also hate. Now, you may not know who the Nicolaitans are, and uh, I wish I could have gotten to this yesterday, uh, but let me tell you, since uh, this is stories I didn't get to tell last Sunday, the Nicolaitans were a sect in the church of Ephesus that justified and flaunted their sexual indulgences. So this wasn't just in the city of Ephesus. This was in the church of Ephesus. The sect of believers, they're, they're, they were believers who were Gnostic in their faith. You know, uh, Gnosticism uh, was a Greek movement inside the church that whatever you do with your body doesn't matter. It's your soul that matters. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Gnostic, you could, you could do anything with your body you chose as long as you believed in God. Well, the Nicolaitans took it a step further. You know, they were leaders in the church. In fact, they think historians and theologians think that the Nicolaitans were named after Nicholas, Right. One of the seven deacons chosen in the book of Acts to serve the widows. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we know Stephen was the first martyr, and it's very likely that Nicholas became uh, a leader of a cult inside the church. And and Jesus was calling calling it out. He even called them by names. He said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I think it's it bears to focus for a moment that Jesus did not approve of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. God loves people, but God doesn't always approve of people's actions. And it's, it, we have to keep that separate because uh, this culture tries to paint us all with a broad brush that if we don't agree with their actions, then we hate the people. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. Right. You know, Jesus loved the Nicolaitans, but he did not approve of their deeds. So the Nicolaitans had a you know a few uh, historical mentions, and let me just go over a couple of them. Uh, it, one of the uh, heretical sects that plagued the churches in Ephesus and in Pergamum. So they were involved in two separate churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Irenaeus, one of the church historians, identifies them as the followers of Nicholas, one of the seven deacons chosen in Acts 6. Uh, and he called them, this is a quote from Irenaeus, who was a contemporary, led lives of unrestrained indulgence. So they were the guys preaching, if it feels good, do it. Don't worry about all those rules. Have sex with who you want to have sex with. Uh, let's, you know, enjoy uh, our physical pleasures. So they would mingle themselves in the orgies of Artemis. So they would go to the temple of Artemis during their worship ceremonies, and they would participate in the sexual orgies in the temple of Artemis. And then they would bring that back to the church and encourage the church to pretend, oh, you should go ahead. It's not that big of a deal. You know, uh, everybody's doing it. I have my rights. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, it, it's the same old, it's the same old argument that the enemy makes all throughout the ages. Did God really say Yeah. the same one the devil told Adam and Eve in the beginning? Are you, you're just an old fogey. You're just, you know, you're out of touch, you know? And Jesus said, I do not approve of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. All this was done. It must be remembered, not just as indulgence of their appetites, but it was part of a system 
the culture of Ephesus that was supported by doctrines of the, the temple of Artemis, and it was also accompanied by uh, a boast of prophetic illumination. In other words, Nicholas, one of the deacons of the main church in Jerusalem, was saying, this is God's plan. You know, and we see it today across America. Lots of denominations are splitting. It's forming new congregations and new denominations over their disagreement of the ordination of people who practice sex outside of marriage. Hmm. It's happening, just, and, and it's never stopped happening. Right. But it's happening right in front of our eyes. And Jesus said, I do not affirm the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And he said, and I know that you don't either. So in the middle of all that, Jesus said, I know you're fighting a battle. I know it's hard. But even that, don't forget your first love. Yeah. We're not doing it to stop people from having sex. You know, do, people can do whatever they want to do. But we have to remain true to who we are and to allow our lives to be built around Jesus and that we can love those who are not like us. But you can love somebody and not agree with their deeds and I think we've lost that nuance yeah. in our culture. You know, either you agree with me or you are a hater. Yeah. That I reject that hypothesis. I can disagree with you without hating you. Right. I can say you're wrong and still love you. I think that's probably lost in the language because the other side doesn't want, does not want to have a conversation. They want us to agree. Right. You have to agree or you're a hater. No, I disagree and I still love you. And you're welcome. In fact, Journey is a church full of sinners, our former sinners. You know, all of us are capable of sexual sin. We don't sit on a high, uh, a, you know, a high point and say we're holy and you're not. We're saying, hey, we're all capable of of gross sin. In fact, we've practiced some in the past ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the blood of Jesus transforms us. And all we're saying is, if you don't want to live like that, there's a different way to live, and that's right. the the way of Christ. That God, how God designed us mm -hmm. to live. And uh, I think that just helps us to affirm, you know, what Jesus was saying to Ephesus, that we agree what Jesus said, that you can love people and not love their actions. Right. You know, and that's a pretty, pretty clear truth that's been lost in the culture we live in today. You know, either you, you agree or you're a hater. Yeah. You know, and we just reject that that um, that argument. That's that's a false. And you uh, see that all the time. False premise. Like yeah. you see that. And yeah. like I was watching a video not long ago and how people were being ridiculed just yeah. because of what their faith and what yeah. they believed in. Yeah. So they tried to silence them yeah. while they could say whatever they wanted to say. Yeah. And it's ironic. The people who are the most uh, tolerant mm -hmm. are the most intolerant of all. Yes. The ones who cry for tolerance and acceptance are the ones who are usually the most intolerant of other people's um, disagreement. I, Very true. I believe, you know, we, every person should get to say what they think in exchange. Well, isn't that freedom of speech? I believe so. I believe that's kind of what our founding document says. But I believe that let's all put our ideas out in the marketplace and may the best idea win. Yeah. But people who... That won't happen. No. Well, people who uh, are losing the argument... Their only, uh, you know, their only uh, way out is to silence the opposition. If you're losing the argument, then you've got to, uh, you got to resort to name calling. You know, you got to destroy the other side. If you can't beat their argument, just destroy them. Uh, 
I think that just shows how weak their argument really is. Engage me in the idea. Let's let me present what I what I think. You present what you think, and let people decide on which one they think is the right idea. That that shows uh, to me the strength of the argument. Let, let's yeah. debate it. Yeah. Or you can silence me, and then you win by default. Really, have you won? Because Christians don't go away. And the gospel is never going to end. And the church is going to be here forever. And I think, you know, historically, there's a church on Patmos right now um, that was built centuries ago. And it stands on the former foundation of an idol built to Artemis. So in the end, you know, Artemis was this great ruling God. And now John, the poor old guy on the island, has a monastery and a church built in his honor, and it stands on the place where Artemis used to the be very worshipped. same place. The gospel never loses. Mm-hmm. The word of God never returns void. They may, be able, they may be able to silence the church, but they'll never silence the church. That's exactly right. The gospel is forever, you know, and Jesus Christ will be here a million years from now. He'll still be ruling and reigning in the universe if there is a universe or maybe a new universe. I don't know what he's going to do in the ages to come, but he is God forever. Everlasting in the past, everlasting mm. in the future. There's never been a day where Jesus didn't exist. He's the God from everlasting to everlasting. Right. So you're arguing with the Almighty. That's what God asked Job. Where were you when I formed the mountains and the seas? You know, Job, you can argue with me right now, but, you know, can you lift the finger to do anything? You know? And I think the more you try and silence yeah. the church, yeah. the greater the voice becomes. Yeah. In the, and you talked you about drive that underground. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you talked about that a few weeks ago. Yeah, and you were just talking about like how the church spread. Yeah, you know, as long as they were being persecuted. Yeah, they went from city to city. The more they were persecuted, the more they spread out. They went yeah. from Jerusalem to Antioch, from Antioch to Asia Minor, from Asia Minor to Europe, all the way to London, which is modern day London. The yeah. church spread across the continents. And I, there's a guy named Irenaeus, and he was actually a big. Um, force that actually yeah. helped to spread the gospel. He, he was born in Turkey, yep. but then spread the gospel. Wasn't he the third generation disciple from John? Was it John, then Polycarp, and then Irene's a blip? I think that's how it yeah, went. Yeah, I think it's yeah. like that. But I have to, don't, uh, don't fact us. check me. Yeah. Go look it up Go yourself. Google that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Send me a note. But I think that was, you know, these second, third, and fourth generation believers. They didn't stop preaching. Did not stop. They just went to new cities and built new churches. That's right. You know, they just, went to places right. that they could actually be able to spread the gospel yeah. in a greater measure, yeah. in a greater way. Right. And the church keeps growing and thriving. You know, there's a great church underground in China mm. today. Uh, I've been to China half a dozen times, and a lot of the symbolism and the alphabet in the Chinese language is based on scripture. Because when they were developing their written alphabet, there were a lot of missionaries there helping them develop uh, their written language. So it's, you know, the typology of, the, of salvation is all throughout um, uh, Chinese language. Uh, but when the communists took power in 1949, uh, they seized it violently. Mao Zedong uh, and his followers uh, killed 50, hmm. 100 million. Nobody really knows. Yeah. Mil- tens of millions of people. It was the most uh, uh, genocidal um, revolution in the history of the world. And they overthrew uh, the Chinese government. Um, 
it, they exiled the currently that at the time the current leader to Taiwan. There's still a battle over Taiwan today. That's you know John Cena just apologized to China for mentioning Taiwan because that's where the Chinese government is still in exile. The, the legitimate government because the communists overthrew it. And by the way, John Cena needs to grow a spine uh, instead of apologizing to the communists. What a cop out! Uh, he he apologized for offending the communists. Uh, the communists are a brutal dictatorship in China who are still killing, killing millions of people. They're slave camps. There, there's, uh, there's, Muslim, there's a million Muslims. The Uyghurs are in slave camps. There are tens of thousands of Christian pastors. I have met and talked to them in person that have been persecuted and beaten and imprisoned. Hmm. And guess what the church is doing? It's exploding in China. That's right. There's more than 100 million believers underground in China. They don't own buildings. They can't start Bible colleges. They can't do Christian schools. They can't build hospitals. But the gospel is on fire. There are more Christians in China than there are communists today. Why? Because the gospel will not be stopped. You can try to silence the believers, but you'll never silence the gospel is going to go on forever and ever. So, and we know that that happens a lot in our in our culture. We live in America, and we're somewhat free today. Uh, but our window is closing. And point number three: Had I had time yesterday uh, to close out the uh, the sermon, I would have made point three. Remember, you're just passing through. Mm. You know, I'm I'm fifty. I'm 58, I think. Yes, and don't tell my age. Yeah, and you're a little bit younger than I. You're like 20 (laughs) years younger than me. That's right. Uh, But it's it's becoming more and more apparent to me every day. Yeah. I'm just passing through. Yeah. You know, when I started, when we planted Journey 25 years ago, you know, in my mind, I had decades to do this. I was going to devote the rest of my life to this church, and by the grace of God, we've been able to do that. But I'm not sure if I have decades anymore. You know, I probably have, maybe if God's, Grace, I may have years, but the window's closing quick. You know, I'm 58. How long can I really do this? You know, unless Jesus comes back soon or unless I die before then, it'll, it'll go to my successor or to our successors, you know, should Jesus tarry, you know. So I think it's good that we take a, a moment to realize you're just passing through. We're, we're here for a short time, 80 years, if we're fortunate. You know, some a little longer, some a little shorter, you know, but Revelations chapter two, verse seven, that's the last thing that, uh, that Jesus said in the letter to the church in Ephesus, the church that John pastored, Jesus said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, that's a beautiful word picture. The tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God that we're going to get to eat of. But John and everybody in the church in Ephesus could see literally in the city what John was talking about. Let me tell you why. Because in the outer court of the temple of Artemis, there stood a great tree. It was the tree of life. So John was using a modern... Um, analogy Analogy. to help us to refocus on the eternal plan that God had. So this tree outside the temple was visited. It was like an altar where uh, women who were trying to conceive would go to that tree and pray. 
uh, people who, who had a disease and needed healing. We go there for healing. Uh, others who needed financial help in their business or their home would go to the tree and touch it. It was, it was what we would consider an altar of prayer. In fact, every Sunday we have an altar at our church where we invite people to come who, who need healing in their body or financial breakthrough or uh, they're trying to conceive and have children or need a miracle in their marriage. Every Sunday, in fact, yesterday, yesterday uh, Sunday morning, uh, the altar was filled with people coming to touch Jesus and have Jesus touch them. Well, that was a picture of Artemis, this, this tree that John was talking about. He said, look, forget about that tree. There's a tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. And even that last, um, that last description, in the midst of the paradise of God, every Caesar had a paradise garden that only they were allowed to go into in their court, the people that they invited. So John probably never saw Caesar's gardens in Ephesus or, or in Rome, but he knew they existed. But he said, look, there's a greater paradise than Caesar. There's a paradise of God. There's a greater tree than the tree of Artemis. There's a tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. Remember, you're just passing through. Don't get distracted by Artemis's tree or, or Caesar's gardens. There is the there's the paradise of God with the tree of life in the midst of it. And man, uh, I think it's a literal tree. Uh, some people think it, it was just an analogy. I think it was a real tree. I think that in the midst of the paradise of God, there will be a tree of life. The one that was in the Garden of Eden, the one that God blocked the way to after, uh, after, Moses, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, there was a tree of life there in the Garden of Eden initially. But they chose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, but I think God has given us another chance to eat from the tree of life. Amen. You know, and its fruit is eternal. You know, and it bears fruit in its season. And there's there's the river. You know, if it's in New Jerusalem, which I think it probably is, you know, can you imagine one day you and I, or all, all of us, the believers who journey together at this lifetime, can uh, enjoy the fruit of the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God? What will it be like? Amazing. I can only imagine. I know, right? It's just, it, it, sometimes it overwhelms me to think of what eternal life is going to be like. I can't even, I can't even conceive it. You know, I, I understand the concept of living forever, but how do you live a million years or a hundred million or a billion or forever? You know, it's, and forever is a number so big, there's not enough zeros. Yeah. I was thinking about the song Amazing Grace not long ago. And it says, when we've been there 10,000 years. Yeah. And I was in my own mind trying to imagine what yeah. that looked like. It'll be just like uh, we've just begun. Yeah. Yeah. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining, shining as the sun. You know, it'll be just like we just begun. You know, and I, I, I don't know what business God has us doing. I know that he says that we're going to be kings and priests in the kingdom to come. I don't know what God's going to assign. Will he make new new creations and new places to rule and reign? Or will we be in New Jerusalem forever? Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into our thoughts the thing God has prepared for those who love him. But he's given us a glimpse. Yeah. You know, so on this earth, we had that sweet opportunity to return to our first love. Yeah. So it would be worth everything that we would go through. Everything. Any amount of persecution, any amount of um, just whatever we could face right. during our lifetime, yeah. it would be so worth it. Because yeah. even when he was addressing the seven churches, yeah. you know, and five of them he called to repentance, yeah. but two he encouraged. That's true. He encouraged them and he said, don't be afraid. Right. 
you know, because of the amount of persecution that they were facing. Right. And you know, the persecution went on for uh, 300 years. It wasn't a day or a week. Right. The Roman Empire persecuted the church, not the Roman Empire only, but many of the others mm-hmm. over, you know, the three centuries persecuted the church. And the, the persecution continues today. I mean, it's not talked about in the mainstream media and nobody really cares, but thousands of Christians are martyred That's every right. year around the, around the globe. It's, it's very common. You know, the most persecuted people in the history of the world is the church. That's right. Millions and millions of unnamed saints have gone to their grave with their faith intact and will never sing their praises, never build a statue to them. And only God will know Not their me. names. Only God. And, you know, and I think, you know, I don't want to be a martyr and I don't want to die in anonymity. I'm just saying that, you know, we look to eternity for our, our peace and comfort and not to this present world. This, passing, this world is passing away, mm-hmm. you know, but the, the word of God stands forever. Forever. Yeah. You know, Revelation was one of the first books that I ever read. Really? First That's book. a great Bible study to start off your Christian walk with. And I, the reason why I did was because I really wanted the fear of God. Yeah. That good fear. Yeah. That that would never that I would never walk away from Him. Yeah. And I just wanted it. I wanted I wanted my salvation to be solidified within my deep. heart to go deep. Yeah. And I just wanted to be able to stand. And the, the more I grow in my faith, yeah. the more I realize how much of the Word I need. Yeah. To be able to stand throughout these ages. Yeah. You know, throughout the adversities that would happen. You know, uh, as we close out today, we're almost done. As we finish up, uh, one of the last verses in the book of Revelation is John said, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Man. And John, he was living it. I'm on this island. I'm on this island. It's hot. And how many times have you said that in your lifetime? Come on, Jesus. Yeah, when I say come on, Jesus, I'm quoting Revelation 22. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because, uh, you know, we're all looking for that day. Yeah. That day when he comes, you know. Yeah. I, I visited my mom and dad's grave a while back. Um, and uh, I go about a couple times a year. And uh, my dad wanted to be buried facing the east. And it was, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're facing when the resurrection comes. But he told me, he said, when Jesus comes, I want to be able to see him in the sky. I facing the east. I don't think it matters. You'll be able to see them. But he said, I want to be very facing the east. That way, when Jesus comes in the sky, I'll see him. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. And my mom said. So we buried him in the face in the east. He's facing the east. And your mom did what? Yeah, I was just thinking about, when you saying that about Popeye, I was just thinking about my mom. And she said, you know, we were talking about where we're going to be buried or cremated. And I said, well, Mom, Curtis and I made the decision that we'd be cremated. She says, oh, no, I'm going to be cremated. Because she says, God is not going to have a hard time putting my body back together (laughs) in glory. He's going to find me all intact. That's exactly right. I'm like, Mom, I don't think it's going to matter. That will be a great conversation for another day, burial versus uh, cremation. Cremation, yeah. yeah. But I think he's almighty. He can find the pieces. Well, that's what I explained to yeah. I explained he to him. I said, Mom, he can put it together. He yeah. can put you together. You don't we, have the problem. We, we know what he did with Elisha's bones. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, huh? God. Okay. Yeah, even miracles come out of the bones. So much less, what can, what can he do with ashes? Well, you know, even the scripture says from, from ashes, ashes to, to ashes. ashes and dust to dust. Boy, yeah. so yeah. I don't know. That's a fun way to close out the podcast, right? <laughs> hey, it's been a great day. We've had a great time talking to you. Pastor Tanya, so good. Yeah. Good to hang out with you today. We've been on staff together for almost the whole 25 years. In yes. fact, Tanya Curtis helped Rachel and I plant the church 25 years ago, yeah. and we've been uh, fr- best friends yes. ever since. 
we fight a little here and there, but yes. we're still best friends. Still. Uh, always always. Lo- love each other and, you know, just are committed to Christ but and to one another. that's what it means to be doing life together. Real relationships, yeah, though, right? Yeah. If you can't fight it, with each perfect. other Yeah, hello. Yeah. We, we got to have something to laugh about, gotta, like how we acted. Get, get yeah. <laughs> I, I told Tanya long ago that... Um, I'm always right. As long as she understands that, then our friendship can last. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> I'm always right. I thought I was wrong once, but I've been wrong a few times. But uh, she's and been I, gracious. We had him say it again and recorded she, it. She's been gracious enough to uh, let me slide. But we've been great yeah. friends. It's yes, been, we have been. It's been a, a good journey for us, and hopefully, we get a few more years together. I think we you do. Know, maybe a few more decades. Who knows? You know? I think we have. Yeah, you're that. still young. I'm a little bit older, so uh, maybe we'll be around. Well, it's been great being with you all today. Uh, this is. Uh, stories I didn't get to tell last Sunday. Today, we, we've been recapping uh, our series for the month, First Things. The whole series will be on the app real soon if you want to watch all five parts. Uh, and this will be in addition. You can uh, It'll be posted real near the, uh, the series, the podcast kind of recapping and telling stories that we didn't get to in the series. So anyway, it's been a fun day. Yeah, it's been fun. And we love you guys. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't downloaded the Journey app yet, go to your app store uh, and search Journey Fellowship Church and then download the app. It's compliments of Journey. It's loaded with resources, help you to build your faith, a lot of past message series, how to find a small group, how to get connected. You can uh, watch the uh, First Step video. And if you are living close by Slidell, Louisiana, come visit us. Uh, uh, directions are on the app. You can get driving directions. We meet right now Sunday morning live at 10 a.m., uh, and then we meet again uh, at 6 p.m. online only. It's a rebroadcast of the 10 a.m. We also uh, live cast the 10 a.m. service on uh, our on our app and on YouTube and a few other platforms. So if you're not living close by, join us live at 10 a.m., uh, either in person or online, and then a rebroadcast at 6 p.m. every Sunday night. We sure do love you. Visit us at journeyfellowshipchurch.com. Uh, for a tenure camper, I'm Doug McAllister from Journey Fellowship Church. We sure do love you. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. <laughs>